Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. Sparkplug is happy today to host Daraj Sanka from SMB, Simply Modern Business. Simply Modern has created loyalty uh, as well as additional software services for the loyalty and retail market. And Daraj has been a really successful entrepreneur in that market. Welcome to Daraj. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Daraj. Thanks so much for being here. We'd like to start with a little bit about you. Can you tell us, uh, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, my background's actually in software engineering. So I was at the University of Michigan several years ago, did my bachelor's in software, as well as I had a minor in entrepreneurship. It was actually the first year that Michigan was offering that minor program. So for me, growing up in India, we never really had entrepreneurship on our career paths. So that was my first exposure to this idea of, hey, you can actually be your own boss, you can build your own business. You can start from nothing and, and build it to something. So I've, I've worked at a bunch of startups. I've been lucky enough to start a, a couple of companies myself and predominantly bounced around, you know, prior to doing my startups, bounced around between engineering and, and product management roles. So can you tell us a little bit more about the other startups that you've worked on or helped to found? Were they all in the same industry? They're across a few different industries. So founding a startup in college. Uh, so coming out of the the first course that we took in our, in our minor, uh, me and my founder, co-founder, uh, we pitched the concept uh, during the course. Our professor actually encouraged us to go pitch it to a, couple, uh, a local VC firm that was trying to build a, you know, a Y Combinator version in Ann Arbor. So we went in, uh, we pitched. Uh, it was also their first year doing that, and uh, you know, they loved our idea. They liked the team, so they, you know, gave us uh, a grant for the summer to get started building the company. Uh, so for us, uh, you know, that was kind of a big validation. So. The initial company that we started, it's, it was a business called Campus Roost. It's no longer allowed, around. Uh, the way I've always looked at it, it's been a great learning experience. Right? We made a lot of mistakes while we were in college, but it really taught us some stuff that set us up for you know, future success with, with, with other uh, businesses that we've done. Uh, so what that essentially was, we started out as trying to build a, a website for that allowed students and colleges to search for uh, rental housing, right? But to be more focused on things that students would care about. So not just, you know, rents and square footage and number of bedrooms, but more, hey, what's in the neighborhood? What's it like being here? You know, the things that, you know, is this a party area? Is this a quiet area? Things that only college kids would really care about, right? Not anyone outside of that. So we we started doing that. Uh, when we tried to get a bunch of landlords to sign up with us, it didn't quite pan out the way we wanted to. It seemed like a bunch of them weren't really interested in working with, you know, a couple of kids out of college. So we actually pivoted that business into becoming a, a crowdsourcing style, like, you know, neighborhood social network. So the idea was you would come in, you would claim your address and your house. Uh, and then in return, we'd show you who your neighbors were. You could interact with them, you know, throw parties, what, whatnot. And in doing so, we would gather all the data with regards to, you know, how big is the house? What's the rent? What's the area like, you know, just by pulling up the social feed and whatnot. So how did that segue into working in, in the retail domain? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story from there. So I went from Campus Roost to another startup where the founder actually found me from Campus Roost. I was employee number one there. Uh, and that was also in the rental space. Uh, you know, we helped them launch a new line of products uh, that kind of doubled their revenue. And then they recently had an exit themselves. Uh, after that, bounced around a couple of Silicon Valley startups. 
uh, you know, VC backed, several hundreds of millions of dollars raised, those kinds of places. And then I actually, that wasn't the perfect fit for me. So I decided to go to Intuit for, for a short stint for about four years. And that is where I really got uh, into the small business software space, right? So Intuit was making the transition from desktop towards SaaS in 2011 through 15 when I was there. And so I got to learn a lot about the SMB space while I was there. And that's how I got interested into, you know, getting into the retail space and the loyalty space. Right. Well, that is really impressive in terms of your history with startups. I know right now you're doing a lot with digital loyalty and uh, Snowshoe even partners with loyalty. So could, could you describe more how your solution pairs with Snowshoe and how, um, how we've worked together? Yeah, absolutely. So, so going back a little bit, uh, the first time I actually came across Snowshoe was in 2014, I believe. Uh, I came across it on AngelList. And at that point, I, I just thought it was a really cool piece of technology, you know, and obviously appealed to the engineer in me, right? I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I didn't really quite know what to do with that. So I had it bookmarked and you know, kind of in the back of my memory left it there. Uh, so it was towards the end of 2015 when I finally left into it, started working on loyalty. Uh, you know, I did a bunch of research in the space just to see what are the other solutions you know, that competition has built out, what has actually gained traction, what hasn't. And the one thing I noticed, there were a lot of companies that came and went in this loyalty space, right? Like every, every year you get a few companies start in the space and then every few years you have them just kind of, you know, go obsolete. And the weird thing I noticed is the only thing that had kind of stayed constant for decades was the paper punch card, right? Mm -hmm. no, no matter what you say about, you know, it's really old school, there's no tech behind it, but it's, it's existed forever. And it also exists in other markets, not just the US, right? You go to any country, you see some variation of a paper punch card. Uh, and, and my thesis at that point was the reason this stands the test of time is it's simple to use. Everybody gets it, right? Like there's no learning curve involved. Uh, so the thought process there was how do we translate the paper card into something digital so that you can get all the benefits of digitization? And that's where, you know, kind of the, the two things clicked together. I was like, oh, yeah, Snowshoe, that's the perfect technology to take a old school physical experience, digitize it without adding a whole lot of friction and a massive learning curve on top of it. So, Diraj, can you talk about some of the benefits that your customers see when they switch from a paper card to a digital solution? Can you kind of touch on what, what the pain points are that you're solving for there? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'll, I'll approach it from two and So, one from the business owner standpoint and the second from their clients or their consumers, right? So, for the small business owner, uh, you know, going digital, there's a few benefits. When you go with a paper card, almost none of them know how effective their loyalty program is. You know, they just know that, okay, I print a thousand cards a month, but they don't know if they're giving it to a thousand unique people or if it's the same person is, you know, forgetting the card 10 times, you know, restarting a new card. Uh, they don't have to deal with, uh, you know, running out of cards or, you know, someone trying to, you know, cheat them by punching the cards themselves or signing it themselves. Uh, or, you know, a customer coming in with like, you know, 10 cards and saying, yeah, I have a free coffee, like, you know, here's 10 cards and they're holding up the line, right? Uh, the second benefit they get, obviously, besides the user experience angle, is we actually help them collect a lot of data on their customers, which they can then use to, A, study the effectiveness of the program, but also uh, to communicate with their customers, whether it's for sending offers, making announcements, just a way for them to re-engage. With a, with a paper card, you basically have no way to connect with your customers uh, you know, multiple times. Now, 
from the consumer standpoint, you know, I don't think any of us really like to carry a bunch of paper cards in our pockets. So you get rid of that. Uh, you know, all the customer has to do is sign up with their phone number and they start receiving points within you know, a couple of seconds, right? So super low friction, uh, no need to download a new app, no need to carry a bunch of cards in your on your keychain or in your wallet. Absolutely. And so can you also talk about the actual experience that customers have stamping, um, what that experience is like, and really that experience for both customers and businesses? Yeah, sure. So yeah, let me start with the business. And within the business, there's a couple of pieces. So there's the owner. So for them, the, the thing they do like about Snowshoe and you know, the loyalty product is there's no extra training required, right? So for their staff, they just get it. So it's like, hey, whatever you're doing with the paper card, just do that on an iPad instead of a you know physical card, right? So the, the training level over there is is uh, you know the curve is learning curve is basically very flat. So there's not a whole lot that they need to teach their staff. Uh, the staff actually uh, we've heard this more than once. They actually like using the stamp because it's fun for them to do. So it's not something that adds to their workflow, right? So they're happy to you know. Uh, use the stamp uh, on on the iPad, uh, and then you know for the for the customer, basically all they have to do is sign in with their phone number. It takes about you know one second to sign up, and they can start receiving points right away. As opposed to you know downloading an app or carrying a card, which is going to take a little bit longer than that. Uh, like what, what we've noticed with our system is, by the amount of time it takes for the credit card to process, the customer can type in their phone number and get their points. So we're not holding up the line. We're not slowing anything down. But we have customers who have, you know, lines out the door for lunch and nothing slows down with the, the process. Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, in terms of the data that you're collecting for your, for your clients, for the merchants, can you speak about what type of data you're, you're collecting and what that allows customers to do? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so at, at a broader level, what we're actually helping the business do, we're helping them take their foot traffic and digitize it, right? Like that's our goal. Uh, so the main pieces of data we collect uh, from the, the consumer, it's the uh, their names, you know, just the first name, something to, you know, identify them by. Uh, phone number, which is the unique identifier in the system. That's what you're using to earn points. And the reason we go with phone numbers is, you know, one, it's easy to type. And two, everyone has one phone number. If you go with email, there's always this thing where I forget which email address I use to sign up you know, for a certain service, right? So you're, you're reducing the friction there. Uh, the other benefit of having a phone number is as soon as a customer signs up the first time, we send them a text message asking them if they want to receive future offers and communications from this business. And they can opt in, and then they're, they're, in, they're able to engage with the, with the business. Uh, we collect the emails as a fallback you know, in case someone doesn't want to go into the text messaging. And then the last piece, last piece we collect is uh, birthday information, so just a month and the date. And the reason we do that is uh, almost all of our businesses have this automated uh, trigger set up with their system, where during the week of the customer's birthday, they'll send them an offer. And usually, it's something uh, you know of, of value, right? Like maybe it's a free ice cream, maybe it's a free you know cupcake, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, just another way for them to kind of remind the customer that and and you know build their relationship with with the uh, with the customer over time. Uh, now, the data that's been collected, a few things can be done off of it. So first thing is just how well is my loyalty program performing, right? So are people coming back or am I just giving away stuff for free and I'm not getting anything in return? So it's at a high level, how effective is my loyalty program? The second thing they're able to do is direct outreach. So text messaging, email marketing, whether it's uh, you have new store hours, you know, you are releasing a new product, 
or you know it's it's uh, it's a big holiday coming up and you want to do some sort of promotional discount, right? Uh, the other thing our system does is also has automated triggers. So based on certain rules, the system can automatically engage with your customer without you having to engage as a business owner. So the birthdays was one example. Uh, we have drip campaigns. You know, if someone hasn't been to your store in a month or two months or three months, we can try to re-engage them. Uh, you can even set up milestones. You know, uh, for example, after their 50th coffee, give them a discount on a bag of coffee or something like that, right? So very customizable. Each business can set it up the way they want. And it's just a way for them to engage with their customer multiple times. And that's kind of how you build loyalty, right? It's it's a ongoing process. It's not a one-time. Well, so has this changed the way that your clients are able to do business? Are, are retailers acting differently because they have different information? The biggest difference is we actually noticed were the last year, you know, through the, the pandemic and the related lockdowns. I, I think that's exactly when a lot of business owners went from realizing that this was a nice to have to a must have, you know? So being able to do things like uh, announce change of store hours, uh, store closures, being able to tell customers what kind of safety protocols they put in place. Uh, it's like, hey, we're now delivering on DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever it is, right? All of these things that they previously would not have been able to do, they were able, able to actually engage with their customers. Uh, we even had some like completely use, like, use cases that we never thought of. So one of our earliest customers, uh, hair salon owner, but apparently, you know, they, they had a talent for doing flower arrangements. Now, since they couldn't have people into the salon, they started doing flower arrangements and they announced that to their customers as another way to kind of, you know, generate revenue for themselves. Pre-COVID, it was mostly being used as a, as a nice to have, you know, send an offer here and there, try to engage with the customers. Uh, through COVID and beyond, I think it's become a, a, we need to be able to, you know, communicate with our customers. It's no longer kind of a luxury, it's a necessity. That's really fascinating to hear how COVID really did change how important that um, communication with customers is at any time, even when they're not in the stores. I'm curious if you have thoughts on what will happen post-pandemic based on what you saw this past year and how all of these business owners were adapting. Will there be a big retail revival? What do you think you'll see and we'll all see in the market? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's always hard kind of predicting the future on these things. <laughs> Uh, so the one thing I, I definitely feel pretty confident about is every business owner, even you know small business owners, are now looking at some level of you know an online or digital strategy, right? Some way to communicate with their customers, some way to have online ordering, online storefront. All of these things that were kind of nice to have so have now become you know front and center uh, for for business owners. There's probably also going to be other changes, but I think a lot of business owners have figured out how to run more efficiently. So you'll probably see maybe certain concepts explode and you know things like the ghost kitchens will become more popular. Maybe you have a lot more fast casual versus you know fancy kind of sit down, uh, big wait staff type place. I mean, they'll still exist, but maybe you see a, a difference there. The fact that everyone wants to have a digital strategy, that part is very clear. I think that you know, from mom and pop shop all the way up to fortune founder companies, everyone is rethinking this stuff. Your technology has been really useful to retailers. A lot of new technologies are emerging in the loyalty space, in the retail space. What interesting technologies have you seen out there beyond just the, the stamp technologies? Yeah, so the one that I think through the pandemic uh, looks like QR codes made a comeback. You know, I've seen them everywhere. I've seen a lot of uh, online ordering systems that are really taken off in different formats, whether it's you know ordering from your table ordering ahead for a pickup, uh, integrated with delivery partners. And then as I said, like, I think ghost kitchens were not another thing that I've started to see kind of a spike in that, right? So you have this 
uh, kitchen somewhere on the outskirts of the city that's now able to cater to the the entire uh, entire city. So I've seen a lot of stuff on kind of the commerce being taken online away from the point of sale to the to an online. So Daraj, loyalty has clients in a variety of different markets and industries. Can you touch on what you see as being the which different types of loyalty programs are successful in different markets and maybe even different industries? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll give you some information from my standpoint based on the kind of businesses we work with. We're a lot more narrowly focused today than we were, let's say, when we started. So, but we have worked with uh, small businesses across retail, uh, you know, sit-down restaurants, a lot of service businesses like you know, nail salons, hair salons, uh, and then fast casual restaurants. Now, having worked with them for for several years, what we've noticed is like there's a there's a few types of programs and a few types of businesses there that, where this works really well. So I'll, I'll list out a few characteristics for where we've seen the most amount of success. The first thing is you know, your business, wherever you're selling, needs to be a place where con- customers want to go frequently. They're more likely to sign up for a loyalty program. So, so think about it versus you know, your local coffee shop, right? You're probably going there a couple times a week, a couple times a month, whatever the frequency, you know, versus a, like a fancy restaurant where maybe you go there once a quarter, you know, once every six months or something like that. Uh, people are more ready to sign up for the one where they're going more frequently because they know they're going to be back and you know, they, they want to be able to, to earn points. Uh, obviously, the way we work is we did, you know, collect information at the point of sale. So businesses with good for traffic tend to do better with the system than once without. And then the last thing that we've noticed, and I don't have a technical term for this, but businesses with what we call a simple menu tend to do really well. So what I mean by simple menu is you know, they make most of their money selling one item or a variation of that item. So think sandwiches, you know, cupcakes. You can have a bunch of combinations on it, but it's one item that you know you're selling a lot of variations on. And and the reason behind that I think is simple because a lot of their loyalty programs are very simple, you know, easy for to understand, right? Buy 10, get one free, easy to understand. I can sign up, as opposed to you know, earn a point or earn five points per dollar spent. And then you know, when you reach 50, this happens and 200 that happens. And it starts to get complicated that a lot of consumers don't want to deal with. Uh, at the point of sale. So those are the high level of what we've seen. So we tend to do really well with uh, fast casual restaurants, uh, broadly, I think like, you know, drinks, so coffee, juice, bubble tea, and then what I call like lunch categories. So that would be like sandwich shops. And then the last thing is like, you know, a dessert, so like ice cream, cupcakes, and so on. So those are the industries where we've seen uh, the most amount of value delivered to the business owner from our software. And of those uh, categories, were there some categories of clients that were affected more last year than others? And can you describe in general how your customers adapted to the closures and the new restrictions? A good chunk of our customers were able to adapt given that they were in the fast casual mode. So the main thing they did is they got rid of the indoor uh, you know, seating capacity and they switched pretty much to a pickup only model. So a good chunk of them were able to adapt. Uh, obviously, people who were in the service business like nail shops, hair salons, they kind of had to just do a full-blown shutdown and leave it at that. Uh, so a good chunk of our businesses were able to adapt just given the fact that their business models were relatively easy to translate into a COVID world. But yeah, some of the more you know, service-oriented and retail businesses definitely did, did struggle uh, with dealing with the restrictions. So where do you see loyalty and your business in general expanding in the future? Yeah, so I think our goal is to continue to help customer, like you know, small business owners get more out of their customer data. We're working on a couple, uh, you know, new new product lines internally that we're pretty excited about. That you know, we're not quite quite ready to announce yet. But uh, you know, when we do get those out, I think 
that will be able to build on top of the data that we've been collecting for, for our customers. Uh, and then the other thing that we, we really focus on is, you know, we work with really small businesses, right? So your local neighborhood mom and pop shops. So a couple other things are important for us to be able to deliver on. So ease of use of software. So we don't want to build anything that's super complicated that has, you know, a lengthy training cycle. You know, this isn't like selling Salesforce into a big organization, right? Where you can have training and coaching for hours on end. Business owners need something that they can plug into their workflow and it has to just work without a lot of, you know, ramp up time. And then the second thing is to be able to do this without, you know, breaking the bank for the business owner, right? There's a lot of software that's super expensive. Um, maybe there's a lot of stuff that the small business owner doesn't need, but, you know, it's just well out of their budget where they cannot really adopt it. So we want to be able to deliver a lot of value at a price point that is, you know, small business friendly. So we want to stick with those guiding principles that I worked for us so far and hopefully will work for us going into the future. Thank you, Draj, so much. I do have one more question, but before that closing question, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? No, not a whole lot other than that. Okay, so our final question for you is, what is your mission and what do you hope to pass on to others? And I know a lot of businesses will say, you know, customer-centric or being, you know, uh, consumer-centric. And we've been trying to kind of live through that, right? So we want to make sure that we really understand our, our customers and be able to continue to to deliver a whole lot of value for them. So, so yeah, like broadly, we want to stick with what's worked with us so far, which is making sure we get understand who we're dealing with and being able to do the right thing for, you know, for the customers for the long term. Great. Really appreciate the time with you, Diraj. Great discussion. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Not happy, happy to help. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile location. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media.